Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music, and I love those that create it. Stryker's here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Yeah, welcome to another episode of Tune on Toast. It is Ted Stryker. And if it's your first time here, welcome to the Tune on Toast community. If you like Taking Back Sunday, I think you'll really enjoy the library of episodes I have. Many of those artists, many of the bands are right up your alley. Okay, Adam Lazar from the band going to join us in just a second. A few things quickly. They're going to be on a spring tour with the band Citizen. Also, and I know you know this, 152 is out. Let's just appreciate for a second, that is eight full-length studio albums. Do you know how hard it is just to release one and then tour? And now these guys have eight full-length albums. They've been in our lives for a very long time. And I don't know about you, but the songs hit harder now than they did when I first heard them. Adam and I cover so much ground in this, and I attempted to not ask him the exact same questions that I asked him for the album release party. I was the lucky dude to host that. I have a face for radio, but they filmed it. There were eight cameras rolling. I think someone even put some makeup on me, but I couldn't just ask him the same questions that I asked Sean, Mark, John, and Adam that night. We got to get some new questions going. We cover a lot of ground, a lot of business stuff, creativity, growing up, and this was not in person. We did it by Zoom, and I think Adam was in uh, three or four different locations. (laughs) Throughout the chat, it started off in a car, then a porch, then a bedroom, then a hallway, and then we were totally settled. But we did it, and he's great. So without any further ado, please welcome to Tuna on Toast from Taking Back Sunday, Adam Lazara. By the way, I'm audio recording everything we're saying right now. Okay, cool. So don't, uh, so don't curse. No, no, you can curse. You can curse. Oh, I see. So then it's like the, uh, so the podcast is like the after hours, after dark. Exactly. After dark. (laughs) Dude, I I saw this great video of, like, I've been, I have hardly been going on social media or anything like that, but I, um, but I'll go on to like repost stuff about the band and then I'll like look for a minute until I catch myself like, get off Instagram. And there was a video I don't know what year it was from. It was just like Dave Grohl lighting like coffee sweetener or some shit on fire. Right. And you were there. Yes. And I was like, oh, man, I wish I would have known about that video before I saw you last because I had questions. And then this interview came up. I was like, oh, perfect. That'll be a great time for my questions. Yeah. Feel free when you're (laughs) ready to ask about Dave Grohl just doing a David Copperfield in fire and disappearing for a minute and then reappearing. Dude, how did that come up like that's that's, like were you guys just uh like was there already coffee creamer being lit on fire and you're like oh snap we should do this again for the camera or or was it just did it just happen like so he was that's my main question he was on love line with dr drew and i and you were on there before as well and the topic of coffee creamer being able to if you light it while pouring out and it exploding came up and we started discussing, wow, we actually put that stuff in our bodies. And Dave's like, I want to show you guys how it works. And so the late great Taylor Hawkins was there. It was me and Dr. Drew. It was 12, 15 at night. It was sprinkling out. And he's like, watch this guys. 
And for those of you listening or watching this, the video is up on my Instagram, Ted Stryker. I recently put it up, which I discovered it. I thought it was a missing it's video. Great. And he, this ball of fire that engulfs Dave Grohl is wild. There's a second in the video to where I'm like, oh, my God, Dave Grohl just lit himself on fire. <laughs> but then I remembered, wait, this, had, this clearly happened in the past. And so maybe he didn't light himself on fire. <laughs> he didn't. I mean, he. I think he was on fire, but miraculously, he was fine right after. And it was a much bigger ball of flame than I think anybody expected. Oh, it was, dude, it was crazy. Like, it looked like some kind of, like, like David Copperfield trick or, like, a David Blaine. Either of the magical Davids would, uh, would uh, fit that MO. Didn't it seem like when we were in our 20s or even 30s that people that were, like, 55, 60, 65, they, A, they seemed to be 100 years old when I was... 30 mm-hmm. and also they had everything fixed fixed in their mind and it was their way or the highway you got to do it that way and the truth is they don't they didn't know anything and they still don't and uh-huh. i and i don't know anything right so it makes you wonder if maybe just as the years have gone on if like people are more comfortable talking about how they don't know what's going on or what they should be doing because <laughs> like yeah like i just um I especially remember like in my early twenties thinking like it just, even like a lot of the different people in my life that were older thinking they had it like so together and figured out and, and then getting a little bit older and realizing like, Oh, they didn't know what they were doing at all. Nobody knows what they're doing. Okay. So the silver lining though, is that made me feel better about myself and not knowing what was going on. (laughs) Right. And I always looked at older people that they were never concerned about their career and how are they going to still be successful at 55 and 65 as much as they were at 35. I n- never got that feeling from anybody. Meanwhile, for me in my little small tiny bubble that I work in, I'm like, is anyone going to want to listen to my stupid voice in five years from now when I have a zillion more wrinkles? Like I get scared about that kind of stuff. What about you? Oh, all the time, man. Like I think, I think that's one of the things that's like in like this weird way has really helped us as a band. Cause like every record you go into, it's like, well, this is the last one. This could be the last one. We don't, and like, that's kind of like the one thing that you don't think about, you know, this is all I wanted to do since I was as long as I could remember. And I'm the luckiest guy that I know. And in the same respect though, like no one tells you like, Hey, like any kind of like security in that thing, like you're never, ever going to have that. And then I'm realizing, and then, so that's actually been something that I've, I've struggled with a lot, just like you were saying. And then, but I think though is, is um, everything's what you make it. Right. So, so then it's like, okay, like I went through my whole life thinking like you just get to like a certain age or you get to a certain chapter in your life or like you get to some place, some point, and and then you're just good like smooth sailing you'll have it all figured out don't even don't even worry you go from like thinking that to then realizing like okay nobody knows what they're doing everybody's just doing their best and 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 there's something like there's like a lot of then it comes back to like if you distill it down real simply to be like okay well hopefully if i just keep doing the best i possibly can all the time then things will work out so that's kind of my new trick I like that. And so is doing your best at all times the same as thinking about it all the time or not? Because thinking about it all the time and giving your all, 
that wears me out now. Yeah. No, no, that wears me out too. That's always worn me out though. Cause like, I'm like a worrier. Like I'm, I worry. And it's like, man, it's so hard not to. And then, so, so like, you know, and then like you go through like every possible scenario. Here's every possible scenario, every possible outcome. I thought through it all. Like, like that whole thing. It, it's, 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 um, there's just something really comforting though about knowing that like, okay, well, at least it's not just me. <laughs> I've been listening to sold uh, a remix that was just dropped. And I don't know if yeah. I was expecting that to hit, but can you just give me a, a few seconds or sentences or minutes on the remix? Yeah. So, so, so um, in order to tell you about the remix, I need to talk about um, Tushar Apti a little bit. He's who we worked with, uh, who produced 152. And then he... Um, he comes from uh, just a very different world than what we're uh, accustomed to, you know, like he typically would work with just kind of um, pop, like just straight kind of pop artists or, um, and a lot of electronic music and like EDM and, and uh, um, well, like we met him through working with Steve Aoki. And, um, uh, it, and so what was great was like really early on, through meeting Tushar, like we realized like, oh, he doesn't know anything about our band. This is perfect. <laughs> so like, cause oftentimes, um, you know, like when you're talking to different producers or, or, or um, folks, like they have an idea already of what our band should sound like. And, and that can be restricting, especially at this point, we needed something that was like very much, uh, like it was like best case scenario to work with someone that wasn't familiar with us. And so um, with all that said, there's um, doing like the remixes and things like that. Like that's kind of to me. And like, I don't know if he would say this, but that seems to me like that would be kind of his wheelhouse, you know, like he's, he is a wizard when it comes to like, there were things I love engineering producing all that stuff. And, and um, there were times to where I would be looking over his shoulder in the studio and he's going so fast and that I can't, I couldn't even keep up. And I like to think like, I'm okay mm -hmm. at it, but this is like this whole other level of it, it, that I didn't, uh, or like, I just never worked with anyone that worked like that. So then um, with the, with the remix stuff, um, it was something that like we had talked about like through the like through the process like man we got to get like we're just kind of as a joke too like yo let's do like a club remix or let's do like or because there was one day we were joking with him and then uh because we were trying to figure out one this one song it might have been for the last song on the record which is called the stranger off of 152 and then because in the very early stages of that song we were kind of trying to figure out like where it should sit you know and one of the iterations of it is like uh Char just goes, well, it could be a Drake song. And he just makes like this trap beat real quick and puts it to that. And we're like, oh my God, we need a whole record of this. And then, so, um, so, so that's kind of where I like think the seeds were planted for the that's remix cool. stuff. And wow. so then, uh, yeah, we had kind of gotten talking to the label about it, to fantasy about it. And um, they were into the idea. So, I mean, you know, we just called up to Char, like, hey, man. You got anything going on right now? You yeah. want to do some remixes? And he was pumped. So that's how those came about. I love how Sold sounds remixed. And 
man, I, it's like, it's really cool. And I think it takes a lot of guts for the group, the four of you to say, we're going to work with someone who doesn't really know who we are. Uh, maybe hasn't produced this style of music, whatever it is that we do. And you bring him into the room and you go for it. As you sit here now, are you happy that you went that route? One hundred percent. Cool. I, I, I think that see because this process, like just the way those guys work, is wild. Like because it's so fast, and it's so like especially in that pop world, or like um, from the little bit I've been able to see about just kind of like the songwriting world, you know, like that whole thing, and just like how it's so different than the way that we're accustomed to like working as a as a band. Okay, let me go inside. Sorry, that's all right. That sounds good. I'm just going to sit right here. And then, so uh, we were so accustomed to doing it like one certain way that, you know, you kind of fall into like these habits and, 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 and things. And so work with Tushar and then, cause I like think with the four of us, like, you know, you kind of fall into this thing of like, okay, well, if we do this part for this long, then of course should probably go here. And then this should probably go here. And then you just kind of fall into these routine things. And then um, it's like kind of how it worked for us is like we would take a song as far as we thought we could take it with without um, like murdering one another. And then uh, there there's um, and then we bring it to 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 Char and we kind of just step back just to, and we'd, we'd be like, what it, what do you hear? And just some like a lot of the choices he would make were things we wouldn't that weren't even in, uh, in our orbit um because it didn't just because going back to what i was saying a second ago that like just because you fall into just things that are comfortable and they work and if it ain't broke you know don't fix it so so with him and then no preconceived notion of the band just kind of he approached it like he would approach anything any project that that he was working on and i feel that the four of us needed it not only for just for the band itself, you know, to to stretch a bit, but then also like just the just the process of recording and all of that. It like really flipped my world up upside down because I come from this kind of I this ideal or this idea of like, well, it's all got to be organic. Avoid the computer if you can, like that whole thing, which is ridiculous looking back now. It's just such a closed-minded thing mm. because uh, kind of like Bob Dylan said, like you change with the times or you sink like a stone. Like the technology has gotten so incredible that to not use these tools that are right there at your fingertips, you know, like if you had a like a manual screwdriver or like a drill, like a power drill, you're going to use the power drill. It's just, it's way more efficient you can do a bigger scope of a project and it's the, and it's the same thing now. I feel like with, with recording and capturing sound or designing sound, like any of that, there's just all these incredible tools and it kind of took how we made one five two and the process of it for me to realize that I was, that I was stuck in kind of this antiquated, like, loop in my head of like well we can't do that because you're not using this microphone and you're and this and this and then it's like it doesn't matter if it right. sounds good it is good period right and i was real resistant to that for a long time so i'm grateful not only because of how the record sounds and how it came out because i 
there's certain parts on there and like i'm like oh my god i can't believe this is us this is amazing which is the best case scenario for anyone in a band putting on a record and then you know because you're finding that common ground between everyone and that's the that's the end result i wish i would have had the realizations that i had during the process of making one five two years earlier because mm. i feel like it would have made things a bit easier <laughs> during those years do you think it would have sounded different on those records or just made it easier i think it just would have made it easier definitely the writing process okay because now like we'll go in and we'll like now dude you can be working on something right and in the middle of working on it in a minute and a half or two minutes they can take whatever's on the computer, bounce it down, and airdrop it to your phone. So for me and my role in the band, this is like a revelation. Because I can now, like, if they're working out, oh, like, what drum fill should we do here? Or like, oh, let's try this guitar part. Oh, let's try this one. Like, I can, while they're doing that, I can have a copy of, like, that's up to date of what we're working on. And I can go be, like, nailing my, my end down while that's happening and then the whole thing is just running more efficiently and who doesn't like you know a high efficiency machine that's the way to go right well i'm glad but, you did that i'm glad you're able to get your brain into that place and realize it's okay nobody's gonna throw you out of the band or not listen to you because you changed it up a little bit to make it easier and potentially <laughs> even sound better i think it like not even easier i think it also it opened up this whole world of possibility that we just weren't fully aware of because it's something we hadn't we hadn't explored and i'm grateful for to shard to to that he introduced us to that and then in certain aspects kind of like help walk us through it <laughs> yeah yeah but like what i was gonna say earlier I, as you know i meander a whole lot and i apologize for that I, uh, but um i like think what i was trying to say earlier was like not only am i so happy with how the record came out as far as how it sounds and, and the songs and but i'm also so happy because it i feel like i have like i i feel better equipped moving forward and that is something that is just priceless to me that's great good good job yeah. uh how many bands were you in before taking back sunday that you thought had a chance to really make it every band you were in Everybody, yeah, I was dis, I was disillusional. I was dis, disillusioned enough to believe that everything <laughs> could be the thing. But I was in, um, let's see, one, two, three. I was in three different bands um, before Taking Back Sunday, uh, and like high school, because it was because I was um, I was eighteen when I joined Taking Back Sunday. Wow. So it was kind of like I had I had been out of high school for a year. And then I moved to New York to join Taking Back Sunday, or you went to New York because that's where the action was, and that's where maybe you could further your career or start a career specifically for Taking Back Sunday. Wow. But it was a huge bonus because it was like for me, grow like I grew up in a a town called High Point, North Carolina, which at the time was much smaller than it is now, and 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 it's still smaller in size. But um, so like New York's like Mecca, like center of the universe still is in my brain. Like I just feel there's like something that sparks inside of me when I'm there. Like I like feel like, oh, my God, this is where I'm supposed to be. And then, so uh, but I moved up there. Um, I They needed a bass player. And uh, that's where I came in. 
So they needed a bass player, which, I mean, I know yeah. that at one point they did. Was it an audition? Did you have to, like, play in a room and they just stood there with their arms crossed? Uh, <laughs> no, but in my mind, like, it was, uh, I just remember it was a huge deal. Like, I, like, we drove. So I met them, like, there's a band called Aerotype 11, and they, um, Artie Shepard's, like, one of my heroes, you know. And, and I had met them just from them touring through Greensboro and, Chapel Hill and stuff. And, and uh, I went to the show in Winston-Salem and uh, Sons of Abraham were supposed to be playing. They canceled. So I was about to leave. And as I turned the corner, I saw Phil Hanready from Aerotype 11. And I was like, oh man, what are you doing here? I didn't know you guys were playing. And then he's like, no, I'm just, uh, I'm filling in on bass for my buddy's band. And uh, and I was like, I play bass. Could you introduce me? <laughs> and then, um, and then, and then he did, and my buddy Chris Caballero and I drove up a few weeks later. We drove up. Uh, we had a friend that had just moved to Brooklyn, so we stayed with her, and then um, went over onto Long Island. And um, which I found out later, I th- I think that first practice or that first like tryout, yeah, um, was also Mark's first time playing drums with them. Because when I met them, they had a different drummer named Steve. So Mark and I, we pretty much join the band at the exact same time. <laughs> wow. And then how long did you play bass for where all of a sudden you stopped playing bass in the band? Uh, so that was probably for somewhere around a year. And our, and our singer quit. I think it depends who you ask about that story. But I'm just sticking with it. He quit. <laughs> and then uh, Eddie, at the time, he just looked at me and he's like, you're going to be the singer now. And I was like, "Uh, what? Honestly, I think it was just more because I would just throw myself around. Like it was more of a spectacle thing Um, because I wasn't very good at bass. And at the time I was no, not good at singing at all. And, but, you know, I just thought, okay. And then because John and I had already been like sharing ideas back and forth, you know, just um, with stuff that was like in, in our notebooks at the time. And then so kind of that transition worked out really good because the idea was like, okay, if we do it like this, then it's, we can keep the focus on this is a band rather than like the usual, like this is the front guy for the band. Mm -hmm. It's all about that. So then that way we could keep it all, um, keep the focus on the band, which is something with 152 that I'm really, that I've been really, happy with and really proud of that we've been doing is that like trying to make it as much as trying to highlight the unit the band as much as possible and never have it just be like one dude you know which is much closer to our original intention so then like yeah that transition to singing went really well because it was like because john already had like a stockpile of stuff i had a stockpile of stuff and then so we just started putting it together and then through that there were all these other ideas, you know, that Mark and Eddie and Sean had. So it just like when all that came together, you know, it it just seemed to work out. But then like the next thing though, was like, no one wanted to put our, put our record out. Hold on a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on right there. Cause I have a question about that. I'm growing up here in LA and I'm seeing some of the bands that we all know and love play before they were signed, like Incubus and Linkin Park and System of a Down, and the list goes on and on and on. I had 0% idea what was happening in New York City or how it worked, 
But here, I watched these guys at the Roxy or the Whiskey and a record person sees them. Were record label folks seen you play and then nothing would happen from that? So can you pick it up from there? Oh, yeah. So uh, yes and no. Us like I like think it's more uh, this would lean more towards kind of the scene we come from, you know, like this like hardcore scene. Everything was very... Uh, at that time, everything was very like DIY, like, like, um, like, well, we can't get these people's attention. We'll just do it ourselves. Blue collar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then, so a lot of the labels we were talking to or like that we would come across or, or like meet whatever, like we were, we were coming from, like, they were just kind of friends of friends, you know, cause that's how we were all, I remember, um, Oh my goodness! What was the name of her label? I'll probably think of it later, and, okay. and I'll be like, "Oh damn it!" Anyways, there were like a few people that we like the folks from Drive Through. They like started to take notice of like things that were going on like around that area. Bands like Brand New and Movie Life and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And then um, there was uh, Triple Crown. Fred from Triple Crown was actually gonna sign us i think because he felt bad for us and then he, he's like okay i guess i'll put your record on <laughs> and then but right around that same time see because we had i sent stuff to everyone kind of labels you know like it was like revelation uh drive through uh, uh j tree like all like stuff like this like it, and um and then it wasn't until uh and he later became like he's one of my best friends his name's Angel Harvey. He used to work at Victory. Him and our friend Michelle, she took all the photos inside of Tell All Your Friends. The two of them went to a show in Philadelphia. They drove there. And then they were driving home, and she had our demo in the car. And he heard it, and he's like, oh, who's this? And she told him. And she's like, oh, it's like friends of mine from Long Island. And then the next thing we know, like a week or so later, we like we were talking to the first label that was like generally like interested yeah. in putting out a record. So we just couldn't be happier. And that's how um, that happened. There's recently, we, um, uh, Dave Stein, he was our lawyer for a very long time. He's an amazing guy. Like, it was like funny because he did like all the New York hardcore bands, Crow Mags. I think he had Sick of It All. Like, the, And then us, hey guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he had seen us play at this VFW hall show. And then like afterwards he like came up he, like when you guys need somebody, I'm, I'm your guy. And then handed me a card. So we called him up and then with, with the victory stuff, he's like, Hey man, look, you can polish a turd any which way you like, but it's still a turd. <laughs> and that's what he meant about the contract. And oh, then he's boy. like, don't sign this. Oh boy. Okay. And, but then we did anyways, cause no one else would put it out and we didn't, <laughs> And like we were young and stupid and now we're just a little bit older and stupid. And, and there was, I like think financially, it probably would have been smarter to not do that. But as far as like scope, like looking back and having this gift of hindsight now, that was a great decision. Cause like there was for all the sketchy things that that guy did that victory, it was, it's like for every two sketchy things, there was like one thing he did for our band that like really helped. And it, and I know looking back now that we wouldn't have, I doubt we would have uh, been in the position we're in now without that. So I'm grateful that it panned out the way it did, though I was pretty mad about it for a long time. Mm. <laughs>
Well, now it seems like you're not and you're in a good place. Tell all your friends and then you put out where you want to be. And then in 2006, louder now, the way the business was being conducted from 98 to about 2007, how has it affected the band? And I'm not asking for financial numbers, but is the way that you handle your business different as a band? I like think that the streaming and all that is like, it's like a gift and a curse, you know? Mm. It's amazing because it's like anything ever that you ever want in your little pocket computer. You pull it up whenever you want. Now, on the flip side of it, there's, um, uh, what's the word? Gently. The model and how it's set up, it's like worked out. The labels figured out a deal that works for them mm. with the streaming. That uh, hasn't quite translated to the artists yet. Anyone. I don't know who's going to have the answer for that. I sure don't have the answer for that. But like right now, it's just kind of like the Wild West. But then we just saw like with the writer's strike with like, yeah, uh, like all that. It's almost like it like seems to me like it's going to take something like that for it to get right. Because the answer with a lot of these streaming services is like, oh, like when anybody goes to them, this isn't this doesn't really break down correctly. Like, let's could we fix this? And the answer is always, well, you should just make more. And then, which I think is a really big testament to kind of like where it just as a whole uh, with with um, I mean, just kind of where I feel like we're at, you know, like you can't turn your phone on without somebody trying to sell you something. Right. And right. then so now it's like this culture of more, more, more quantity over quality. And I don't want any part of that. So it because, yeah, we could put out more. Is it going to be as dope? It'll be close. But close, close isn't going to cut it, you know? Especially for the people that are creating the music and those that have dedicated their time and money to the band, whether it's been for one month or 20 years, uh, people can see through that crap immediately if you're just phoning it right. in. Right. No, I mean, you can hear it. Like, I think, yeah, and I don't think you need some, like, special magic ear for that stuff. But you can hear it, you know, like, you go, you turn the radio on, listen for 20 minutes, and you'll hear who means it and who doesn't yeah, <laughs> like, right. so, so, and this is like, um, I mean, just kind of like this, like an age old tale because it's been happening since like Motown, you know, since before then, but now it's just, just a different thing. And there's this like unregulated thing or like unregulated system. Basically you don't think about the $8 or $10 or 14 or how, however many dollars Like you don't think about that when it's being automatically redrawn, like drawn from your account. And, all that month after month but it's like if you walked into like a starbucks twice a day every day for a month you would look at your bank account and be like shit i gotta stop going out for coffee so much yeah and it and it and, but like just even like that number compared to like what like you get from like a streaming service i mean you can't compare the two because it's like so different or like, i like think a, like a better more precise way to say that would just be like that analogy of like oh okay so we're cool with four dollars for a cup of coffee but we're not cool with paying more than paying for the art that is going to give you happiness the rest of your life because you paid for it the coffee just lasts for six minutes right and then you're just going to need more we all know how caffeine works yes so the but it's there. See, it's a tough thing too because I never want to sound like 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 I'm complaining because I'm because I'm not complaining. I'm just pointing out, hey, here's some facts, and uh, it seems to me as a rational person, 
something's really misaligned here. And then, though the subject is much closer to my heart, but then again, I'm one of the luckiest guys that I know. I mean, I've been able to, uh, like, I've been able to live in this world to where I can just create. That's all I've ever wanted to do. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So I'm not like I don't want like if anyone's going back and listening, like, man, that guy from Taking Back Sunday's real dick when it comes to talking about streaming. It's like, no, man, like I just. Uh, I, I just think that's a very obvious thing. Like if you're going to pay somebody to like come fix something on your house or like fix something like there was like that person, you can also expect to pay them for their craft, you know, like they right. like have spent years like learning how to do this thing and they do it really well. And, and if you want the best, you got the best, but <laughs> you get the best prices. However, with the streaming services, they're getting all that for nothing. For nothing. And by Crazy. the way, the way you've presented it, I don't think one person is going to be like, oh, Adam from Taking Back Sunday is complaining. Not at all. I asked a question. I was curious about the business. It is, it's opened my eyes even more, even more. Dude, know what's the craziest thing now is that we were like talking, we've always, we've tried to keep ticket prices like as uh, just low because it's, dude, some of the fees that they'll tack on there and like all those things, it's like, what are you people doing? Like, talk about nickel and diamond, man. It's bullshit. But, so like with that and like knowing that we're like, okay, well, we can keep it here um, on our end. So that way, when all the fees and things are tacked onto it, it's like still kind of reasonable. We're trying to think like, we didn't want to rip anybody off. And then, but then now we're living in this climate of like, everything's more expensive. You want to go buy a fucking banana twice as much. Yep. And then, so like that gas, all of it everything has almost doubled in price and then so then trying to keep that price low but then seeing what now like it's gonna cost to like just even put on the show get to the next place is wild and then just trying to juggle that it's like okay well what's fair but things are just changing quickly now and maybe we're just somewhere in the middle of it all changing like the spin cycle in your dryer you know it's just got to take some time to level out i think at the end of the day Guys like you want a few things. Continue to make the music, make a few bucks mm -hmm. because you're making the music, and get as many people to the show in a way that it's not ruining their bank account and they've got memories for life because of the performance. That's it. Right. Dude, because that live thing, man, that's fellowship. Like, I grew up, like, you can't grow up in the Southeast without hearing a lot about a bunch of different people's ideas about church. And then, it's a, but, like, fellowship, community... Things like that. The times I've experienced that have been at those shows because you're like so many different shows. I felt it at, I've seen Post Malone play three times this year and I felt it every time I was at those Post Malone shows because mm. everyone's there and I felt it at our shows. You're there and you're all getting like, like no matter what, and it's people from all different walks of life, people in different chapters in their life and everyone's getting lost at the same time to the same thing. It's like real magic. And then it's, it's there. I don't know why I started talking about that. I'm that's sorry. Okay. No, that's good. You're doing great. And I'm just all <laughs> no, you're chitter chattery. No, we we're sorry. just talking about the best part about a live show. And you know, it's a success is when the humans on stage connect individually and authentically to each person that's there. It happens at your shows and you saw it a post Malone three times, right? That's the gist. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, and then, yeah. And then, so then like that, so then it's not like, like all that separation starts to kind of go away and it just becomes this one thing like Voltron. There's just one thing. And then like, I think that's a thing I'm always 
chasing and then yes to be able to create and like and ex and explore and express and all those things yeah like that's is that it and then you put those two things together like i said when we first started talking just now like that's what i've i've dreamed about that since i was a kid long like as long as i can remember i also want what's fair like just with any with anything else in life right that was a great quick assessment you made and i appreciate you for helping to put my words together <laughs> you're very good at what you do thank you for saying that last few things man the time is flying by did you take any lessons of music growing up or and did you play any sports growing up i played uh, soccer for a little bit um when i was in like elementary into middle school and then oh I remember in middle school, I tried out for the volleyball team, didn't make it. And then shortly thereafter, discovered skateboarding. And then I took my, I took my skateboard with me everywhere I went. Like it was attached to me. And then as far as the lessons, there was the high school I went to offered a, um, like a classical guitar course. Um, so I did that though. I didn't, I wish I would have paid a lot closer attention because <laughs> there's things that there's like little seeds over the years that have like popped up. Like, I mean, you know, or like reading shape notes or something like that. And then, so, so I can do it just very, very slowly, like painfully slowly. I wouldn't do it in front of anybody because it would just ruin their day. Cause mm. they're like, come on. Dude. <laughs> um, and then aside from that, there's, there's, um, you know, once we started touring and things like that, that's when, um, there was more of the uh, like the physicality of singing and, and 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 like how to maintain and do it better, which has taken me time to get to a point to where I'm not like oh I can't listen to that. Uh, but um, so like those things, yes. But I since I've like gone, I did a course for um, audio engineering, and um, and then the next thing um, that is on the horizon is to just go back and find something that will work with our schedule so I can just knock theory out rather than wow. these kind of bits and pieces. There's some things that I don't understand how they connect. And that really drives me crazy that I don't have that information. So that's my next thing. So eight full length albums you've put out taking Whoa. back Sunday. What is it? Right. Eight. Yeah. It's just it's crazy to hear someone say that out loud. Can you believe that we've, they let us put out eight records. It's amazing. And, and <laughs> they all are so good. And you've had many of them debut in the top 10. And there's people that are just discovering you, Thank you for right that. now. You're welcome for the very, very first time. For somebody that is just finding out who the heck you are in the band, what three Taking Back Sundays albums should they start with? Give them three in a row. Ooh. We'll start with one five two. It's the newest one, most current. One of the things I'm really proud of is that like each record we've had is the per is the perfect snapshot for the people we were like at that time. And one five two is no different in that respect. I would say that. Um, and then if you want to, you know, like get to know some of like the older material, then of course you got to go with the first record. Um, tell all your friends. Tell all your friends. And then yep. probably yeah. like the the one that kind of like did the best of the earlier ones of course was louder now. Yep. And that, that was another crazy thing. And there's like these parallels with louder now and, and one five two that just that I, 
I haven't started to realize until now that 152 has been out, but like one big similarity is that how the recording process really rocked our world. Because Loud and I, we did it with Eric Valentine, and he is just, you don't get any better than that guy. He is creme de la creme. And then, so, but he, um, and then, so that process was like, I felt like someone shook me out like a rug. So I was like, I can't believe it. And just, and that's kind of how it, it felt very similar with 152. Oh, and then, cool too, to like, even my inner dialogue, when I'm thinking about things like that, it's like this hybrid of, kind of the two different approaches, you know. Did you like being on the big label when you were, I think you were on Warner Brothers when Louder Now came out? Did that change anything or it's like, hey, you go about your business the same way? We went about our business pretty much the same way. They like, they were really great in that they gave us a lot of room to, there was a lot of wiggle room. Mm, good. <laughs> and, it, and then, because we've heard stories, you know, from friends of like, Oh, and then the A&R came in and they're trying to do this and then this and then they're telling us we can't or they shelved our record. Thank God. Like we've never we haven't experienced that. I hope you never do. But and we were were really lucky, too, because we were working with Craig Aronson and Tom Wally at the time. And those guys, Craig, man, he he would like definitely try to like nudge like in one direction like or you could try this you know that kind of thing but he was really great about trusting us and trusting that we wouldn't let him down that or they were really great at making us think that's what was going on i don't know (laughs) but 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 we were very fortunate to have to have our introduction to kind of that world and that scale and how large it was and just their reach, man. And that that uh, we were very fortunate that it was with those people. It was much better than being on Victory. And um, I was just think, thinking like, oh, shit, legally, can I say that? Yeah, I can say whatever. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it, I like think that um, I, I'm very grateful for the experience that we've had. And then, too, that we've been able to uh, or like been allowed and we've been able to do this for so long. We've seen this thing like we've seen the big highs and we've seen the big lows we've been there through all of it and 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 i'm really proud of us for having the perseverance to power to power through it all because of the perspective that that we all have now um but yeah like in that major label world that was they were um really great to work with it was a wild time too because it's like streaming is like becoming the main thing you know main thing main thing so then at one point we like you know you go to visit the offices and like half of it's cleared out and they're going to a smaller building and like this thing there's a little while there to where it was just kind of the scary thing of like oh man there's not they don't even have the security right right no i think i know a lot of the reason why would you like to hear it oh man because i can go on yeah yeah give it to me okay remember napster and like the whole like Lars from fucking Metallica oh, yeah. got involved, the whole thing. They handled that so badly and so wrong. Cause rather than embracing, they pushed. And the pushing was the problem. See, cause now it's like, oh yeah, well, we'll show you. And then so then they like um through that process, they lost. And ever since the tail's been tucked between their legs, it's like they didn't wake up one day, like, wait a minute, we're the music industry. We'll do whatever we want. You, like we dictate it hasn't happened yet. And, it, and and then so then through that process, 
And then as the streaming's growing and growing, well, they've already put up a wall between them and the streaming stuff. So as that's really gaining traction, then the more traction it gains, the more that just kind of the music industry as a whole is like grasping at straws, but everybody's afraid to make the wrong move because they got slapped so hard with the Napster bullshit. And it's been that way since. And that's what I think about that. Wow. There's like, because no one's really taking these crazy chances. Everybody's just like, it just, it just maybe we'll try this. And they dip the toes in, but no one's going head first. Right, okay. Because you can. Yeah, right. And it, and it, and it like, Makes you wonder, man, like if there was some way to like organize, um, I think there could be like a really big change. And it almost seems to me like it could get to this point to where it's at least operating within some like reasonably fair bounds as opposed to now. But what are you going to do? Last you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep writing songs and talking to great folks like you. Oh, thanks, man. Ho 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 hopefully. And I'm going to keep <laughs> listening to your songs and going to see your shows. You know, the one thing well, I, I, I don't have, I don't have a Taking Back Sunday shirt or a hoodie, which I need to get in my life at some point. Oh, my God. I know a guy. I'm going to make a phone call. We'll please. Send it right over. Please, please. <laughs> Quit here. Last last two things, I promise. What Can you name a couple bands or artists that were unbelievably cool to you when you guys started and they kind of showed you like, well, you can be famous and you can be nice at the same time or this is how you act on the road who are some of those if there are any yeah oh man and this ties right in with just how i believe i'm the luckiest one of the luckiest guys that i know one of the first kind of like full big long tours we did was with um it was this like victory records tour and we were like one of seven bands and there was a band on there called reach the sky and and ian from reach the sky he was he, he was their singer Bob played drums. Bob plays with uh, Bane now. And, um, but they were, they really just kind of took us under their wing on that tour. Like, hey, don't do this. Hey, here's how you settle. Hey, here's how you put. And um, I just, yeah, I'm forever grateful to them for that. And then, two, and then after that tour, we did a tour with Lawrence Arms. They're from Chicago. And they, um, same thing. They were just so helpful and, and just kind of, there was a lot we didn't know and there was a lot that they taught us. And then to go further, I like think like a larger example that most everyone knows is Blink-182. Yeah. Those guys, man, I they helped us out in a way that is like really hard to, hard to describe. Cause it was like, we were, well, I mean, we were already fans. Like, I had their poster on my wall in my bedroom. When they first, like, because they took us out on a number of tours, you know, and at the time that this was happening, they were, um, it was around, like, when um, the record, uh, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. And so, like, that time, you, you know, it's, they're huge. Yeah. It, and they And they brought us along. So then we had never seen anything operate on that level like the amount of crew like just the whole production the whole thing and so to be able to not only watch it but then have these guys that for me like i look up to and that i'm just this huge fan of to be able to just kind of watch them operate and like how they do it and then just um there were times too like they were never like too cool to say hi or pick on us <laughs> and that, or like, cause that's how they flirt. And, 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 and 
yeah, I'll just always be grateful. Oh, that's so cool, man. To them for that. That is so cool. Yeah. John, Sean, Mark, Adam, what a that's career cool. you're having in 2023 into 2024. You've put in the work over all these years. You've stuck to your guns. You've done it the way that you've wanted to do it. The fan base is bigger than ever. And what I think is also cool, those that gravitated towards you many years ago are in your orbit right now and impressed with like, wow, these guys are doing it and you will continue to do it, man. So from someone that's an outsider just watching you, much love to you and congratulations oh, on everything. Man. Thank you. Thank you for the kind word. Like, no joke, I have goosebumps, man. Oh. Like, it, it's there's, the, yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that and thank you for your time today. And then just always being so kind too. Like, we've run into each other over the years so many different times and it and it's always great it's it's just always great making time you know so thank you thank you for being cool thank you for being cool as well <laughs> all right uh find the guys on the road in 2024 and of course 152 and check out the reimagine remix songs he is adam yeah. i am striker and that's been another episode of tune on toast i'll see you later adam we did it we did it Woohoo! tour in the spring shoot i was supposed to talk about that we're going on tour in spring it's gonna be awesome we're gonna be playing 152 lots of citizen to be there Woo! that's another episode of strikers tuna on toast promise it'll get better most likely for sure maybe